Welcome to Voices of E-Learning with your host, J.W. Marshall and Lena Marie Saleh, a podcast that highlights the people who are changing the way we learn and grow. Each week, we'll speak to the innovative minds who are pushing the boundaries and transforming online education. We'll explore their stories and discover how they're empowering students around the globe to achieve success. Join us on this journey and get inspired by the power of online learning. Hello, and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall. With me as always, my co-host, Lena Marie Sale. Lena, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing today? I can't wait for this conversation. Uh, it is with uh, someone that I've known for a while and have been trying to get on the show, and we're so glad that we have her. We have Haley Spearbauer on the show from iTutor. Haley, how are you doing today? I am wonderful and feel honored for that introduction because I am an admirer of this podcast and also the work that you both are doing in this space. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we'll dive right in because I know we have so much ground to cover. Lena can't wait to start jumping in with questions, but we'll start the same way we do every uh, episode. Tell our audience a little bit about who are you and what do you love about what you do? So as they mentioned, my name is Haley Spearbauer. Uh, First and foremost, I am a forever educator. I'm a New York State certified teacher, began my career teaching in the South Bronx uh, at PS55 under the leadership of Luis Torres and continued my work at a school in Harlem in New York City. I now am the Chief Academic Officer of iTutor.com, an online education provider serving schools across the United States with state certified teachers. What I love about what I get to do is I have this vision that education is at a really critical point right now. The conditions of the pandemic and where schools are today in crisis on a variety of fronts have allowed schools to think more creatively about how school can be in order to provide the best services for students. And iTutor is at the very center of that. So the fact that I get to be involved in such a forward-thinking organization helping thousands of students every single day makes me feel grateful to be a part of the work. And real quick, I'm going to let Lena have the first real question, but um, I know we're connected through Luis Torres. What was it like working for him? He's kind of a legend in the space. Um, Just quickly, like, what is it meant to have that experience? Emotional. I will say that I had him on my podcast. He was the first person I recorded with the second episode I released when I first went live. And I think I cried for 75% of the episode. And and it's, you can't see it because it's all audio, of course, but just knowing that that individual has been with his community for 16 years, serving kids, hustling on behalf of every single student, he is making a profound difference in the lives of thousands of students. And it is just an absolute honor to know him and to follow his work. All right. I'm good now. Lena, take it away. And we can <laughs> right, dive great. into the topic. Um, so before we dive in really, really deep into talking some of the, you know, things that is facing the educational landscape, we'd love to learn a little bit about iTutor and exactly um, what you're doing in the education space. So nearly a decade ago, iTutor began as an organization that allowed schools to have more options to support homebound learners. So students that are medically fragile, behaviorally challenged, out of school that have mandated required hours iTutor felt important to expand schools' ability to serve those students, and so via a virtual setting, state-certified teachers are matched with students to provide those homebound hours. Quickly, schools realized, wait, you have a repository of teachers? Can you help us with credit recovery? Or can you help us provide more tutorial support? Or we have a large population of students with IEPs. Can you actually service them in the resource room environment? 
So what began as a homebound service for two schools on Long Island and in New York quickly expanded to serving over 500 school districts around the United States for credit-bearing and non-credit-bearing courses. So to supplement instruction, what's very popular now, you probably know the term high-dosage tutoring, things like that, of that nature, but also when supplemental service, supplanting services are required. So there's a very large teacher shortage right now because we have this large repository of state certified teachers. Many schools are turning to us to support them for short and long-term with state certified teachers in the classroom to ensure that they are both compliant and have a subject matter expert and credential teacher in front of every single student in their school district. So it's been a real evolution of iTutor over the past as I said, nearly a decade. I've been with the organization for five and a half years. And even in that time, we've been expanding really rapidly to meet the demands, the ever-growing demands of school districts and the students that work within them. And I'll jump in right there because a lot of people have just heard of high dosage tutoring in the last year, two years, three years through the pandemic. You guys have obviously been doing this for, for 10 plus and yourself for five plus. Um, there seems to be a lot of new entrants into the space of high dosage tutoring companies, and it seems like that's maybe not sustainable uh, long term as we come out of the pandemic. Needs are going to change, but obviously the best of the best um, is still going to be really uh, needed and probably in new and different ways than maybe during the pandemic. Um, help our audience understand the landscape and maybe the myth that high dosage tutoring is high dosage tutoring, that it's all the same. Um, because I would say in my experience, I've seen a lot of different um, tutoring companies provide different levels of certification, different levels of um, you know options. Just give us kind of a lay of the land for those that maybe only know at a surface level high dosage tutoring. So all tutoring is not created equal, right? When we were growing up and even for many people today, you think of tutoring sometimes as the high schooler down the street who provides algebra one support for your child, right? That was how I got tutored as a kid. What we know, and much of the research comes out of Annenberg Institute at Brown University, is that high dosage tutoring is a specific model. It's recurring tutoring two, three times a week, at least 30 minutes each session with the consistent educator. Educator here could be uncertified or certified tutor, allowing the students to build on their knowledge sequentially, time over time, in ways that are aligned to curriculum and state standards, right? In this case, you're using data to inform instruction to ensure that we're not simply answering kids' questions, but we're building upon the content knowledge they have acquired and making sure that any skills or gaps that they have are being accelerated or remedied with explicit instruction through the content. What's happening in the market today is that we are seeing expanded versions of tutoring that aren't high dosage tutoring. And perhaps there's a space for providing learners with support and help. But what we know to be true is that research-based interventions are few and far between. High dosage tutoring is one example of what would be an ESSA level one, tier one intervention that actually moves the needle for students. And so that's the type of tutoring that schools should be seeking when they're implementing within their districts. I think that with um, tutoring and the high dosage tutoring misconception often is that it's just what you're saying. It's not it's not consistent. It's, you know, one-off, maybe they're 
kind of doing things that are not data-driven, but the most important piece of the conversation is the data-driven practice of that. Um, and when you do have a high schooler down the street who's helping, you know, do tutoring for your student, that's great. And it's continuous and that sort of a thing, but it's not actually um, driven with intention. And I think that's the most important part of any tutoring aspect is being able to have um, data models or, you know, metrics to kind of compare to how students are growing. Because if you don't have that, then you just basically are going through the motions and you're not actually knowing if the student is growing um, in an intentional way. And that's an important aspect of that. The other thing, Lena, I agree with you. And the other thing a high schooler down the street can't do intentionally and maybe as effectively is support the social and emotional needs of a student. So right now we're experiencing an academic crisis, but unfortunately what we're also experiencing is a social and emotional crisis for students. Each student in the United States had a, their ACE score go up by at least one. Adverse childhood experiences, the, the pandemic was traumatic. For many kids, their ACE scores went up by more than one. And so one of the reasons why sequential instruction with a recurrent teacher or tutor is important is because you can have rapport built. You can have an adult, a professional, who is able to support the social and emotional needs of a student, recognize when a student is not feeling well, contact other parties to ensure they're, they're provided with wraparound services whole child support. What we also know to be true, and the data is very conclusive on this front as well, is that if we don't address the social emotional needs of our kids, their academic progress is not going to happen. So it's a both and, which is why high dosage tutoring has this added benefit in requiring a recurrent instructor that fulfills some of the social emotional needs of kids as much as it does the academic ones. Yeah, and that seems like a big difference between, I think, what a lot of tutoring is, is more just-in-time tutoring. I think we see this at the higher ed level, too. A college kid's up at midnight cramming for an exam. They just need help figuring this one problem out. They got a lot of the background knowledge. They don't need any social-emotional learning support. And it's just right there 24-7. Could be overseas, could be in the U.S. And I think sometimes that's the easy fix to for K-12 is to think, oh, we just, we have checked the box, provided the support. You know, it's available when the students need it. And that's not really what our students need coming out of this pandemic. They need exactly what you're talking about, consistency, two to three times a week, focused, intentional, and building skills, not just remediating. Um, how do you see that changing or, or not changing moving into the spring, into um, you know next school year? Do you think we are going to see um, another phase of evolution in high dosage tutoring? Yeah, I do. It was really seductive to have schools have this option in front of them, that seems like a perfect cure-all, right? Oh, we can support every student within your district with just-in-time tutoring. And unfortunately, what we now know to be true is that student schools are starting to pull back. There was a kind of chalk beat, like uh, what's the whistleblower kind of article uh, just a week or two ago in the beginning of December about this, idea that schools are starting to realize just-in-time tutoring, homework help is not the same as high-dosage tutoring, right? We have NAEP data. Our NAEP data tells us students are behind. Well, we're starting to get in more interim data, right? December data is coming in. They're not growing as much as they need to grow. And so when you talk about impact, one of the things that I tutor that we feel really strongly about is that research is part of the process. You're embedding it, you're embedding it into the work you do in partnership with schools. We actually have an in-house research team. And we do that because we think students deserve better than options that look good or that are, are kind of like 
covering the bases that schools need to cover. And right now, schools can't afford to have options in front of students that don't properly accelerate their learning and support their social emotional needs. I do anticipate that some schools will stick with what they've had because it's really hard to change in the middle of the year. I also anticipate that some of the providers that are offering these homework help type solutions are going to reform their models and upgrade some of how they offer, which is great. Ultimately, I want it to be better for kids. But then I think the third thing that's going to happen is I think that, and I know that the industry is calling for impact-driven practices. There's so much money folks are spending. And if you read the ESSER guidelines carefully, and the government just released a new set of like updates to the guidelines, if you read them carefully, everybody needs to be measuring how impactful their purchases are. And so as people start to measure that and the results come in, there will be a lot of changes upcoming as schools recognize what's working for their kids and what's not. What should they double down on and what should they abandon? I think that's what we're seeing a lot of within um, what the pandemic actually turned school districts onto. And obviously with the new guidelines of the ESSER and all the other things is just how important it is to measure the impact of um, the tools that teachers are using and that are being used within the school setting. Um, because before there was like, no, you measured and there was a lot of like assessment data and a lot of metrics that were coming out of it, but there wasn't any like real tracking of those tools. And we know that teachers are, you know, they have a ton of tools in their classroom that they're using. So it's really great to see that you are, (laughs) you're really having, I think having an in-house data team is really, really important also um, to be able to measure those metrics and, and just also allows you to pivot, which I think is an important component. If you see that something isn't working, you're able to pivot with intention um, rather than just pivoting because you are in the classroom and you're too busy and you think it's not working, but you don't really know if it's working. Yeah, absolutely. I tutor, you know, I tutor has been studying student progress for a minute We have a really kind of long-term case study on some students we've been working with in rural Alaska for, we worked with them for over three years. There was a little bit of a pandemic pause. Alaska is a very unique community, incredibly rural. Um, But our, but our time with them, significant amount of time, again, it's been three years I've been in partnership with them, shows that there's a 5.5 point increase on test scores for every hour of iTutor services. Statistically significant growth in the community that we're serving for high dosage tutoring. Again, before the pandemic, before that term was really coined, that was something that we've been doing in that community. A more recent study in the Buffalo region with a school there is students making statistically significant gains from pre to post tests in both math and reading after just two hours of instruction with iTutor. So again, when you you throw these things out, you throw these statistics out and you name these kind of these points, that's a dramatic impact on student growth that, that students who take iTutor, students who work with iTutor educators are having. And that's the type of thing that schools reinvest in because they say, wow, this is something that works versus just this is how we're spending our money. And we're not really sure what the impact is on students and on our community. Yeah. And that's really a big central theme of our all of our shows, as you know, as a listener, um, is how do we accelerate learning? How do we not just dig ourselves out of this hole, but how do we come up with better ways moving forward to accelerate learning so that the students impacted during this pandemic are actually going to be better off over time because we're not going to stop doing the things that are working like real quality high dosage tutoring. We're going to keep going once those kids catch up in the next year or two, hopefully, um, so that then the next year or two after that, they're going to end up 
further advanced in, in where they would have been without it. So speaking of the future of ed tech, um, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts overall on what are you thinking about uh, the field of ed tech and how does it need to evolve moving forward? It relates to what you were just talking about, right? And, and Lena, when we joined the call, you made a comment about this is a precipice and like that is the word I use all the time. But let me back up for two seconds. Before the pandemic, we all we had kids that were very far behind. We had black and brown kids across the United States in, in under-resourced communities, aka historically marginalized, systemically oppressed communities that were already underperforming as compared to their peers. And so what the pandemic did was A, it accelerated the gap between the haves and the haves-nots. And B, for the first time in a really long time, the students in well-funded communities started performing poorly. So both good and bad. One, bad because these problems always existed. The good part about it, if I can find the silver lining, is that now everybody's paying attention, right? So it's it's not just the folks who are kind of aware of equity issues across the United States. Now it's everybody being like, oh my gosh, kids are falling behind. Like we have to do something. And kids were always falling behind. Just it was this certain kids and certain regions and certain people. So that's one. But related to that, the future of education has to look fundamentally different. We have not changed school ever, except that we started letting people of color and white communities go to school together and women attending school. That's pretty much the biggest change we've ever seen. And so right now is the time more than ever before, as Lena said, it's the precipice in which we have to reimagine education. First of all, there's a teacher shortage, right? We know that there are less teachers going to school for to become an educator than ever before. Two, we know that more people are retiring early. And three, we know that more people are quitting well before their time, not even entertain the idea of retirement because the prestige, as the recent Annenberg uh, working paper stated, stated, the prestige of teaching is lower than it ever has been. So teacher shortage combined with significant academic gaps for students, a social emotional crisis for kids. Like, why are we going back to what we've always done? Like, it's really a waste of everybody's time and everybody's money and a ton of resources just to continue being back to how it was. I obviously cannot agree more. I yeah, think you're shaking that, your head pretty big. Yeah, um, the pandemic, as we said, the pandemic, obviously, um, I think it just did what while it was bad for students, I think it was probably one of the better things to come to the education landscape in the sense that it started to highlight for other people outside of the K-12 or even higher ed system um, that there are issues within the system that we aren't addressing because school has stayed exactly how school's always been. And we can't do that. Students learn at different levels. The way that students want to have information is different. Um, just the way that we learn is different. If you think about us as kids, not that long ago, you know, the only way I could get information is by going to the library to get the information or news traveled so slowly that you couldn't find information. If you think about, I don't know, you watch anything on Netflix about serial killers or anything like that. You're like, oh, how did they get away with it for so long? Because news and media traveled so slowly that the only way you found it was in a paper. And only if your local paper paper covered it, didn't typically pick up in national news unless it was like something really, really huge. So 
we're seeing the change in information and technology and how things are changing. And it's changing so rapidly, the school systems can't keep up. And then you're right. It teachers, there's no pipeline of teachers. And that's just like such a huge thing. Why does a teacher want to go into being a teacher when we saw during the pandemic, how hard their jobs are. So it highlighted, it just really, really shined a big light on everything and exasperated many of the issues. And so it's taking years to recover, obviously, for the issues that students face. But we're also seeing that teachers kind of had an insight too of like, why do I want to continue doing this when there's better avenues for me too? So it just was an all-encompassing thing that schools do have to adapt and they need to adapt now. They need to be starting to think about it. Obviously, they're not going to make massive changes in the middle of the year, but you do need to start thinking about it and thinking about how you're going to how you're going to implement these changes in the classroom for lasting impact. You'll take a big hit probably at first, but I think that if you don't take this small little hit for a little bit of time and have some um, productive struggle, then you're never going to come out of it in a better way for all students. I think we have to embrace some idea around the modularity of learning, right? Thinking about we're not going to have enough teachers. We know that to be true. Let's not put our heads in the sand about it. So how can we reconfigure a school day so that we are utilizing our subject matter experts and state certified teachers for the reasons we need them and bring in community-based types of solutions that allow for more music instruction, more time outside. We already know research tells us those two things are very good for children's brain development. Um, And also just recognizing that there are times when you need a state certified teacher to be working with a student, to be conferring with a student, to help move the needle based on data. There are other times where other personnel can do a really fantastic job supporting school day structure in a manner that allows us to continue to scale education and help draw kids into the school and get them to school. There's also this crisis that kids just aren't going to school. There's a ton of attendance issues. On the Learning Can't Wait podcast that I host, um, I hosted an episode with Hetty Chang of Attendance Works. The, The statistics on student attendance are as scary, if not as scary, as the ones on academic performance and social and emotional well-being, which obviously they all go hand in hand. But we got to figure out some better solutions, not just for our teachers and our administrators, but really for our students. And so uh, on the point of the teachers and the transitioning teachers, are you seeing a lot of teachers moving into high dosage tutoring roles um, or are you not? Um, You know, because it seems like the high dosage tutor is getting to do all the things that most teachers would love about teaching, spending one-on-one time, um, reoccurring two, three times a week with multiple students. Um, that's kind of the best of. Um, uh, scary to think like, well, why don't all teachers just leave teaching and become high dosage tutors? Obviously, that wouldn't be uh, sustainable either. But are you seeing a lot? Um, and if you are not, why don't you think you're seeing more uh, teachers making that transition, at least in the short term, until they kind of figure out I think it's what color is my parachute, um, you know, what I want to do with the rest of my life post-teaching. Um, where does that kind of stand as far as your the, the tutors that you work with? Are they mostly former teachers? So I want to name first and foremost, we need teachers in schools, right? Like brick and mortar schooling is not going away. iTutor doesn't exist to like poach teachers from the schools and have them work for iTutor, thus making brick and mortar schooling irrelevant. That is like absolutely essential part of the equation. We want to make schools better for families, for students, and for school leaders and teachers. Like name that outright, right? 
We do, we get a real diversity of teachers in our, in our pool. So we have retirees, we have folks that went on maternity leave or paternity leave or parental leave and never went back. We have folks that are disabled. And even prior to the pandemic, being a teacher in a building was very challenging for their physical or emotional needs. We have folks right out of school that are in a region that's highly saturated with teachers. Can you believe it? There are some regions that are highly saturated with teachers and folks need jobs. And then we have a lot of folks who do teach in a brick and mortar building and are teaching in the evenings or on the weekends with iTutor. As the teacher shortage accelerates and as people become more comfortable with virtual teaching, iTutor is also offering the ability to have a virtual teacher, right? We have this large repository of teachers who can teach virtually. Schools sometimes, especially in rural regions, do not have access to teachers. We are seeing some folks exiting buildings and coming to work for iTutor because the conditions are too challenging for them. That is absolutely a part of the population that we have. I hope that that percentage of teachers stays steady over time versus growing. I anticipate it will grow, unfortunately. And it's why I'm such a huge advocate for a redesigning of the school day, as I know that there are a variety of factors we cannot ignore as we think about school in the future. Plus what we talked about earlier, we have to look back and know that nothing's working for everyone. So we better start redesigning what we're doing. So I, I guess since we're talking about the future of education broadly now, um, one of the, the themes that we've both echoed on this show for the current teachers is this is also a huge opportunity for you to have more leverage than you've ever had uh, to do what you think is best for your students and make teaching what it should be. Make it the prestigious uh, job that you wish you wanted and not to shirk responsibilities or completely ignore your administration, but to take risks and to, um, you know, really teach the the things you want to teach because that's why you got into teaching because it is pretty tough to get fired right now. Um, and if you do, there's probably a district next door that would be happy to hire you. So um, to responsibly take that um, that opportunity to make teaching what it should be and what it could be. And I think that's one of the ways that we're going to get more people interested in teaching again, is if the teachers that are still there can take that ownership uh, for themselves and for everyone else and for the profession, if they have the mental capacity right now. And if you don't, then Lena and others are here to talk to you about how to take care of yourself and, you know, to possibly work for iTutor or find whatever else you need to get into. But if you do have that, um, that mental capacity to do things different yourself because, you know, we all want a big systemic change. We all want a whole district change. We all want a school change. But ultimately, a lot of times the change is going to start with each individual teacher and their mindset and then putting the students first the way they know best because they're closest to it. And others, you know, seeing that and saying, oh, we should do more of that. And you're going to feel like you're crazy because it's like I've been wanting to do this for years and I just didn't feel like I had the the backing support. You know, I was afraid of, you know, being reprimanded, getting fired. I think now is the time to do that. What are your, what's your take on that or other ways that maybe we can try to bring teaching back to where it should be? Of course, higher pay for sure. But other than that one, what are other ways maybe that we can, that we can take the profession back? Higher pay for sure. <laughs> um, I also think that we need to allow for teacher voice. Now, granted, this isn't within the control of the teachers, but allow for teacher voice in the decision-making process at all different aspects of the school, right? So 
decisions about what tools to purchase or curriculum, making sure that those bodies, and this is really for the administrators listening in, but those bodies of people that you bring in to make decisions about curriculum, et cetera, include teacher voice in there as well. Uh, I would say that another aspect of it is to like bring your bring yourself to the work. I, you kind of named that JW, but when I was a teacher, I really loved art. I'm not an artist. I'm not an art teacher, but I loved art. And I remember that my students found it more fun to do art with me on some days than have like random free play at the end of the day. They would choose to do an art lesson on a famous artist that we studied for a while and then created 3D models and then 2D models. And they, because I had such a passion for the content, they had such a passion for the work. And so I think bringing yourself to the classroom can be huge. Um, and then making space for rest too. You cannot do everything. You, you can't. And so one, find your network of teachers, right? Teachers have to lean on one another. There are places and spaces um, that exist that have really supportive networks of teachers. And two, like, if you think you're the best at everything, you're not, there's no way. I tell my son this all the time. You will not be the fastest kid on the playground and the smartest kid at math and the highest jumper. Like that's not how the world works. So learn from your friends and work with your friends and divide up the responsibilities and really challenge yourself to be a part of a community. It can be so hard when you're burnt out and you're miserable, but we already know that loneliness is a huge reason why people die early, right? And I can imagine there's some statistic out there that lonely teachers are more miserable too. Like I'm just gonna extrapolate the data a little bit and bring it to teaching. So maybe you're not friends with the loudest teacher in the in the school. That's probably me. Maybe you don't, I'm not your cup of tea, but then find the quieter teachers who you identify better with and make space for them in your life to help you feel connected to the work and the students. Yeah, I think a network is uh undervalued piece of the teaching process. And, and there are so many networks and ways to collaborate with other people that that's really, really important. And if you're feeling that you're stuck in the mud, I guarantee you someone else is feeling that same way too, or has went through it. So there are lots of ways without joining a, an association or anything like that, that you can like authentically connect with others and actually seek advice. And I think that's an important part that we don't embrace enough within the school day or just within the, just within the career field of education itself. Those are, those are pretty important. Um, on the note of like supporting yourself and different things like that. Um, I know that you are a working mom and you also sit in the C-suite of a company. So what, what is it like to be a working mom, um, in that space? Cause we love to talk about women women in the high levels too, um, because that's an important piece that we don't see very often in the ed tech space. Um, So maybe you could share with everyone kind of what life is like. Yeah, life is hard, right? There are really, there are really tough parts about being in the position that I'm in and other women are in where you have to juggle and balance. One of my favorite quotes that you probably hear as you talk to women in this position is like the Nora Ephron, you're always juggling, but some, some of the balls you're juggling are glass and some of them are plastic. You just have to know which ones are glass and at which times. Um, you know, it's funny. My kid this morning said to me like, oh, I said, you have a holiday party upcoming. And he's like, oh, are you coming? And I was like, you know, you've been really fortunate. Mommy's come to a lot recently and I've loved it. And I know you've loved it, but there's a little bit of a balance on that. 
and daddy's come to a few and, you know, I'm not always going to be, and that was a really hard conversation to have. Um, I will say my job affords the flexibility for me to leave and get my kids. Like right after this, I have an allergist appointment. I made it at two 30 middle of my work day, knowing that I would have to miss some work. And that's fine. I work in an incredibly supportive environment. I have an incredibly supportive boss um, who has really been an absolute feminist my entire time working under him and supportive of my own growth and my own being a mom. Um, but there's just, it's a balance. There are times when I am not as present and I, or I'm not coming upstairs for dinner. And then I have to make the most out of the time that I have with them. One thing I will say is I love what I do. I feel really passionately about the work I've been doing my entire career. I have chased after roles that have allowed me to ensure that your zip code doesn't determine what type of education you receive. And that helps me know that the world I'm creating for my kids and the peers that they have and their age bracket, regardless of if they're born into a district that has a super supportive, incredibly high functioning um, or incredibly high achieving community, well-resourced, not historically marginalized, it doesn't matter. And so I know that a large part of what I do, even when I have to make sacrifices or make is making the world better for my kids and kids all over. And that's a conversation I have regularly with them. So like we are not, it is not a secret conversation that I'm a champion of this work. And that does make it easier when the sacrifice is that I'm not with my kids. Sometimes the sacrifice is that I have to not have a perfect document at the end of the day. So one saying that we say that my CEO and I say a lot is perfect is the enemy of done. And I also have to recognize that sometimes getting my thoughts out and getting it to be the best version of what it is is going to be the final product. And that as a recovering type A personality is challenging and it allows me to do more. So that's been a pretty freeing thing that was introduced to me by my CEO, Isiad, uh, since I've been under his leadership. I don't know if that's that, not a perfect answer, but. <laughs> there's no perfect answer, but that was pretty close. So on, on that note, we're a minute past our time with you. Um, I don't think there's anything more we could do to top that that answer and the impact that you're having. I think we all hope uh, to be having that impact to make the sacrifices we make in education. So thank you for your service uh, and everything that you're doing. And thank you so much for your time and sharing your your thoughts and your wisdom and your future predictions with the Voices of E-Learning podcast and our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Haley. Lena and JW, the honor is mine. I'm so excited to be included amongst the amazing lineup you've had on your podcast, showcasing all different parts of the work that we do. So thank you for having me. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your voice too, and representing, you know, different spaces and different pieces of the ed tech world is just really, really important. So thank you. And to our audience, thank you so much for joining another episode. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for interacting with us online. Uh, be sure to check out uh, next week's episode as well. And remember to always, always keep learning. Bye, everybody. 